Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Welcome to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy vet and journalist Phil Briggs reporting for ConnectingVets.com, the website dedicated to the stories of our great military veteran community. Now, our guest today is an Army spouse that has reached a special operations level of fitness. But her story starts with a fight against an addiction that so many in the veteran community understand all too well. We're talking about alcoholism. We'll hear how her drinking went from social to destructive and at one point almost cost her her family. But after doctors, AA, prescription medication, and other therapies didn't seem to be enough, one decision to hit the gym launched a fitness regimen that five years later has found her competing to be on the cover of the acclaimed Muscle and Fitness magazine. So here to talk about inspiration, perspiration, and a perspective that everyone can learn from is my North Carolina friend, Maddie Smith. Maddie. Good to talk to you. How you doing? Good. Nervous. Very nervous. Full disclosure, you have nothing to be nervous about because Maddie and I actually know each other from the neighborhood in North Carolina where our family lives. And uh, we get to spend a lot of time in the cul-de-sac watching the kids run around. And yeah. I've always loved you and your husband. You guys are great. Uh, I think really this is a time when the mill spouse shines and shows a lesson that I think everyone, including you know, the men's side, we'll really get something from because alcoholism, man, we've all joked about the, you know, having beers at the barbecue and we get schnockered and it's all good times. And that's how a lot of people cope. But man, for you to achieve what you've achieved is just something remarkable. So let's dive in. Uh, tell me a little bit about Maddie. Let's go deep here. Let's go backstory. You guys, couple kids up there. And what was it? Maine? We, you my know. husband and I are both from Vermont. We actually grew up together. We met in third grade in Miss Malik's class. We were both the same height. We both had the same bowl cut. It was real cute. <laughs> um, and we were great friends for about 25 years. We went to the same college. 
still good friends. And then once we got out of college, he joined the military. I went up to Lake Tahoe, right at the base of Squaw Valley, and was a ski bum. Um, I like to joke I was more of an at prey ski bum. <laughs> and then I did one of the, you know, lo and behold, now hindsight looking back, the relocations, thinking that it wasn't me drinking that much. It was where I was living that was causing me to drink that much. So I moved back to Vermont and I was like, I'm going to get this under control. And um, I did for the most part. I mean, I was a highly functional alcoholic at that time. And uh, Brendan and I started dating. Um, he came back from, he had just finished ranger school and was back home for a little bit of leave. And I was back home over Christmas waiting tables in uh, Okimo Valley. Um, and we would always meet up and just, you know, have a beer, hang out because we were friends. And we just, it was kind of like our first date. We started dating and got married. We did the year long distance and then got married just after that. Um, we've been together now for 11 years, two small kids um, and living the life in North Carolina. We really enjoy it here. And it's just been a joy to know you guys over the years. But, you know, as we sit in the driveway sometimes or we'll sit and, you know, have barbecue together and whatnot. I've often, Maddie, taken it totally for granted. The fact that you've come so far to stop drinking because, like, I don't even think about it. Like, you don't ever get uneasy, you know, if I'm having a beer with the family and everything. Like, you're not all weird about it. and You're never preachy. You're never like, you know, you shouldn't do that because I nearly lost my mind. And you really serve as an example because we've watched over the years. Both you guys, you know, your fitness is just impressive. It's like a lifestyle. I feel like our, um, just like with drinking, Brendan's not a big drinker. And I told him, I'm like, if you were a big drinker, I don't know if I would be able to stay in this relationship because, you know, sobriety has to come first. And the same thing with fitness. It's a lifestyle. We like to eat clean. We enjoy going to the gym. Our kids love going to the gym with us. We like to go for long walks as families. Um, we try and get outside and moving as much as possible. Um, yeah. I try and limit my screen time as much as I try and limit the kids' screen time. And then having a great neighbor like Snap, he's always out doing something. So like even when you're inside and you see him out there, you're like, well, I can go talk to Snap, you know, and take some more steps <laughs> in. So it just and our neighborhood too, like we have a lot of retired military folks who are still into fitness, and they actually a lot of them work out at the same gym that I work out. And so we have like an extension of the gym community and also with my husband's work community, which yeah. is really nice. It kind of holds each other accountable. It's so nice when I ride the bike around the neighborhood there in oh, North Carolina, cool. between the golf courses and the bike trails, you see yeah. the other people on the trails and they all, all I mean, there are so many paramilitary guys out there. Yeah. They, like North Carolina, I would say probably one of the safest places to live because you throw it. a stone, you're going to hit either a vet or an active yeah. duty person. And some of the guys running around there, I've seen like the weighted backpacks and a 12 oh, pack of abs. I'm like, oh my God, look at that yeah. guy. I'm just trying to get through a two mile bike ride. I feel the same way. I'm just trying to get to my next snack is what I tell everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk, though, a little bit about you'd mentioned back in the day, you thought it was the town had the drinking problem. You're in a social, you're in a yeah. ski town. That's a thing so many of us do. Even if it's not where we live, we'll go to the beach and we'll drink our faces off. We're like, well, yeah. it's the beach. I mean, it's what Jimmy Buffett's singing about. I, I, yeah. I really should be drunk at noon. You wrote in an article that you had gone from silly, jovial, fun, drunk to something more destructive. Give me an example of like when you knew that like your off switch doesn't happen the same way other people's does. I think it was as soon as college. I mean, I remember in college, I was always the person who didn't drink or I drank a lot. 
at that point in my time, I was going through an eating disorder. So I kind of associated my level of intoxication due to my lack of food intake or my over-exercising at that time. Um, but then as I had gotten help for that and moved through it, and then I started working in the hospitality industry, I waited tables in Kennebunkport, Maine as a way to help pay my way through college. And I just, in that industry, it was a lot of people like me. And it was kind of like, you know, I didn't really go and hang out at the bars. I was working with the people who went and hung out at the bars and it just was a normal atmosphere. Everyone was like me. So it kind of set my mind at ease where it was in college. I was different, but I must not have found, you know, the people who were like me. And then when I started waiting tables, I was like, oh, okay, well, this is just the other group of people and I'm just like them. And then as I was getting older and I went out to Lake Tahoe, I just, I had moments when I would wake up and I just, I had alcoholism in my family and I would have these thoughts of like, oh my gosh, am I an alcoholic? I shouldn't drink like that. But then I would have friends being like, oh, we're a bunch of drunks. We need to like take Sunday off. And I'm like, okay, other people think that way too. You know, it's just, it's just part of growing up. And it wasn't really until I started settling down and we were moving out of that like party phase of our lives that everyone around me, they were able to leave that party phase. And I wasn't, and I wanted to, and I kept trying and like, kind of like sneaky trying of like, I'm not going to drink this. I'm not going to drink before this time. When we go places, I'll always be the designated driver because that will hold me accountable. And it wasn't until I realized it, I was very unsuccessful at drinking in moderation. Oh, it's Maddie. She's crazy. She's funny. And it was like, oh, Maddie's so much fun. And then it got to a point where I noticed I wasn't being fun. I remember I would, the way I would kind of get people to bond with me would be picking on someone or poking at someone or even like my, you know, Brendan, he's great. I would tell stories about Brendan that I didn't think were that bad, but he's just in the corner, just mortified being like, oh my God, Maddie, don't say that. And I'm like, everyone thought it was funny. You need to loosen up. And then it slowly started morphing into like, just being mean. And then we decided that we were going to have children. And so I stopped drinking and I got pregnant with Rory and I didn't drink when I was pregnant. I didn't drink when I was breastfeeding. And then once I had stopped, it was like, it just picked up so much faster. And I was going through really severe postpartum depression. Brendan was doing a big training cycle. All my family was in Vermont. I had friends, but all the friends that I had established before pregnancy were like my drinking friends. So I remember there would be times where I would be in the house almost terrified to leave. And I was, I was just so nervous about going out into public, like being around people. I remember I would go to Sam's club and like get this whole shopping cart full of groceries and be in the middle of the, the aisle and be like in the midst of panic attack and just leaving an entire grocery cart of groceries and driving home. And then when I would get home, I would call the grocery store and be like, I had a family emergency. I left my cart in the aisle, but I just knew I had to get out of there. And that's when my drinking, I started drinking more because it made me feel better in the moment. For years, Maddie hid her inner struggle with booze, behind the mask of a functional alcoholic. She was drinking to fight off postpartum depression and the kind of crippling anxiety that so many people suffering from mental health issues can truly understand. She shared more about her life before recovery 
and how it became a situation that would eventually affect her ability to be a mom. My depression was going crazy. I was more fearful of human interactions. Like all the things that aren't good were happening to me and no one was there to tell me that, you know, it wasn't, I hate the word normal, but it wasn't like normal hormones after having a baby. It was something way more than that. And I went through a fear of, I couldn't let Rory be away from me because when he was with me, I knew I wouldn't do anything crazy. I had a fear that if he wasn't with me, I would harm myself. So I went through a big separation anxiety, which caused him to have separation anxiety from me. And then I was in this point of like, I told Brendan, I'm like, I felt, I'm like, if we don't have another child, I'm probably not going to have another kid because like, I, you just feel like this sheer sense of panic. And I'm like, I'm just crazy enough to do a number two. I feel like at some point I'm not able to. Um, and so then I got pregnant with Cal and, and I stopped drinking. I didn't drink during, you know, nursing and breastfeeding. Um, but then as soon as I could, um, it was just, it just jumped from like a whole to a whole nother level of drinking. I was mean. I was making very dangerous, poor decisions. My only thing, and I remember telling myself, like, I was drinking and driving, but my justification was I never drank and drove with the children in the car. So if I'm only going to hurt someone, it's only going to be me. But then you're thinking, well, what are you going to crash into? Like, you could be crashing into someone else's family. And, but I never thought of that when I was in the midst of drinking. And, like, I remember going to the 30-day program and being like, yeah, well, you know, I never drank with my kids in the car. And then it wasn't until my brain function started coming back and I started thinking, I was like, wow, I could have killed someone's mom. I could have killed someone's dad. I could have killed a family. I could have done something terrible to someone else's family. That's what I mean, where I was just reckless. I mean, how much more reckless can you be than that? And Brendan had a a sit down with me, many sit downs of your drinking's out of control. I don't trust you around the children. And I'm like, well, I haven't done anything to our kids. You know, like I'm a good mom. I get up every morning, you know, I put my clothes on, I shower them, I bathe them, they're fed, they're home safe. I don't take them places because I'm drinking. And then it's like, well, what kind of life is that for your children? You're keeping them from the rest of the world because you're making all these terrible decisions. And it it took a a long time. I'm, I'm someone who I feel like most military spouses, like, we think we got it. You know what I mean? Like, We've, we've faced these things before. We've done harder things than this. You know, how hard could it be just to not drink? Seems simple enough, right? And I mean, when you're an alcoholic, it's not. And in your mind, it, it is. And that's your mind playing a trick on you. You need to ask for help. You need professional help. You need a doctor. If you're drinking a lot, you don't know what you're doing to your body. You know, you shouldn't just jump right into fitness. A lot of people have reached out to me asking me what they should do. And I'm like, well, I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you what to do. And I don't want to coach you because, you know, when I say I'm going to coach you, I feel like you expect results. And the only person in charge of the results that you get is you, because the way I go about it may not work for you. So when people reach out to me, I'm like, the first thing you should do is go talk to a doctor and you need to be completely honest with your lifestyle. You can't say, Oh, I have two to three drinks or you need to tell them, you need to say, I'm drinking two bottles of wine because by lying, nothing good's going to happen. You're not going to get better. And you're just doing the exact same thing you've been doing for all these years, expecting a different outcome. 
let me stop you there and just say what I loved about what we just captured was how similar it sounds to so many of the veterans out there who yours was, you know, a little postpartum mixed in with the fact that you were an alcoholic and then add those two things together. And you found yourself kind of like locked in your house and then you don't want to leave. And you've got this anxiety about going out and seeing people. You certainly don't want to pick up the phone and call the old crew from the restaurant because that's going to lead to no good. So now you're a prisoner in your own home and you're sneaking drinks to just simply get the social lubrication, to get the, you know, to get feeling to what you thought was good. When in fact, the whole time you're doing the wrong thing by sneaking those drinks all day long. But it goes from, well, I won't drink before 5 p.m. And then you start drinking middle of the day. Well, I'll only drink at barbecues. And then you're blasted at a barbecue and you're making the crude jokes that nobody wants to hear. And you're crazy, Maddie's bounding on, you know, all over the place. You go to even getting to the point where like, okay, well, you're just medicating with a couple little pops and then you'll run to the store. No. You've actually been drinking since noon. Now you're going to the grocery store at three. Not good at all. And Maddie, everything you've said are what some of these like hardened combat vets talk about or rather don't talk about. And then we hear about their lives spinning out of control. And and the next thing you know, it's divorce and then it's loss of kids. And then even if it weren't a tragedy like you feared, could just be the slow unraveling of the family unit. And we wonder why we're in the midst of a mental health epidemic, dare I even say suicide epidemic. All these little factors are exactly something I know that they relate to. Uh, you'd mentioned you started down the path there with a little bit of medical intervention, talking to a doctor, getting real. That also had kind of a hazardous tale woven into it. You talked about some of the meds that they gave you. And I want to highlight this, too, because finding your best life is not always in the bottom of a pill bottle. What did they do? And tell me its effect. Um, Well, my husband came home from training and he realized that something really wasn't going well for me after having our second child. And so we went on base um, to the clinic and spoke to they have wonderful doctors accessible to the guys. And so I spoke to one of them and they said I was going through postpartum depression. And I think it was maybe a 30 minute conversation. And I walked out the door with Zoloft as my prescription. Um, They asked me about my drinking and I told them half truths. I told them that I drank at least three, you know, glasses of wine a day, which is still too much. And they sent me home with Zoloft and I thought, Oh, well, it's not my drinking. It's my postpartum depression. This is going to help me. They know I drink three glasses of wine a day, so everything should be fine. And so I was taking Zoloft and I was doing my normal drinking. And that was just an absolute recipe for disaster. Obviously, antidepressants increase the effectiveness of alcohol. Alcohol decreases the effectiveness of antidepressants. You become more depressed. You become more anxious. Then you start drinking more. And it is almost like a snowball effect. And it just continues into this like vicious cycle. And that was one of the times when Brendan, my husband, had set me down. And it was like one of the ultimatum talks. This isn't working out for our family. This isn't working out for our marriage. Something needs to change. And I agreed with him. And every time he sat me down and we had those conversations, I wanted a change. I wanted to do better. Um, I went to the doctors. I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do. I started going to therapy meeting with a therapist that the military provided me. I call it, started calling it speed dating because I just kept 
meeting all these different therapists and they just, you got to click with someone. And every person they sent me to was this middle-aged guy. He didn't have children and had no idea where I was coming from. And I was like, this isn't going to work out. And I would go home and be like, Brendan, that guy, it's just not, it's not going to work for me. And then my husband thought I was coming up with excuses, but it just, it wasn't a good fit. And it wasn't until we went out of the military network um, and used TRICARE and I started speed dating more therapists in the area. And I found a, a, a woman who I love. And I always joke that if she wasn't my therapist, we'd go out and talk about our problems and I wouldn't have to pay her. I would just buy her coffee. And it just, <laughs> once I found that person, it put a lot of it into perspective. Um, she wasn't prescribing me medicine. She wasn't telling me what I needed to do. She was just simply sitting there and listening to me and validating what I was feeling. And my feelings may not have been fact, but I was feeling those. And she was kind of like helping me pull those cobwebs away when you drink for a long period of time, when you got mom brain, when all you're watching is Team Umizoomi, your brain is a giant cloud. But after an inpatient recovery program, she returned home to rebuild her life without drinking. Maddie explained that the next logical step was AA, but we'll also hear how it led to another kind of meeting, which would change her life and body forever. They tell you to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I was like, all right, I got this. So I did my 90 and 90. And I remember sitting in the rooms in this area and just listening to people. And um, and they weren't like me. And it wasn't, I could relate because we drank. And that was like the only thing that I could relate with. And I'm someone who needs more than that. I, I need to feel like I fit in. I need to feel like people understand where I'm coming from. Because um, I get that we all drink. I need people to know the reason why I drink. And I want to understand the reason why you drink. Because I feel like the reasoning why and working on that is how you stay sober. And I couldn't get that. I mean, afterwards, they would do like a sense of community afterwards. I mean, I was the youngest person in there who wasn't court ordered by like, 20 years, I would say. And it just, and there weren't really a lot of women. I remember I would go to meetings and show up because they have women's meetings and they have men's meetings and they have group meetings. And I would show up and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I thought it was, you know, a group meeting. They're like, oh, it is. Come on in. And it would be like 30 guys. And I would be the only girl there. And I mean, it's just kind of uncomfortable. I remember sitting there and I just, you know, when you sit in a room and you just, you feel like everyone has the secret and you want to know the secret, but like you can never figure out what the secret is, but you're there and you're interested and it seems to be working for everyone else. So I want to know what it is. And I just never could find that secret. And I just, the not, not being able to figure that out just gave me this constant fear of I'm going to relapse because I mean, that's what they're telling me. If I don't subscribe to what they're saying and follow through on everything that they tell me to do. I mean, I'm going to get drunk again and I'm going to lose everything. And it just, this constant anxiety was just building up inside of me. And I'm like, this is awful. But I'm like, if I don't get this anxiety under control, I'm going to drink again. And like not fitting in an AA is causing me this anxiety. Um, but then when it comes to finding your sense of community, don't think you're going to relapse because you can't find your community in AA. It just means that you need to figure something out that's going to work for you. So my husband pushed me to join the CrossFit gym, which is literally not even a mile down the road. He bribed me with a Reuben. He knows I love Rubens. <laughs> He's like, I'll take you to get a Reuben. 
if you go in and you talk to the people down at the CrossFit gym and do one class. So we went to the one of the local delis that I love and he got a Reuben to go <laughs> and he wouldn't give it to me until I went and spoke to him. So we drove down and I spoke with them and there was this lovely head coach named Jordy. Um, she's I mean, she's a cool girl. And I was like, damn, she's cool. I want to be like her. But she was just like scary enough where like, I'm like, I need to come back. Otherwise, she's going to find me. <laughs> so we went in on a Saturday. I went back on Monday because Jordy's like, I'll see you on Monday. And I've been going every day since. And I just, I found my group. There are a bunch of military spouses. A lot of our husbands work together. Um, they do similar things that, you know, we don't really need to talk about because we're not really supposed to talk about. And you don't need to talk it because they just get it um and when you're done talking they're done talking and we have children that are the same age we have children that go to school together and it just was i found my community and i'm always someone who gets very awkward i think that's another reason why i drank it just wasn't a really good social person or getting there to be social i was joked like it's like dancing i don't know what to do with my hands um, but when you're lifting weights and you're in a really weird, awkward conversation, which I tend to find myself in, I can be like, oh, yeah, I need to go pick that up real quick. <laughs> um, I need my hands to do that. So I just, you know, you go and you do a deadlift or you do a power clean and then it breaks up the conversation and, you know, it makes it more comfortable. Um, and then I when I went into it, I wanted people to know who I was because I heard because um, I didn't really know much about CrossFit. But I heard that it was a big, you know, people tend to drink and that it was part of the atmosphere there. And I was intimidated at first to go because of that. But when I went, I realized that's not the case at all. You know, no one pushes you to drink. It's not like that. Um, it's just something I had created in my mind, maybe to trick me into not going. But I told them straight up, I'm like, I'm a recovering alcoholic. You know, I just want everyone to know who I am. I, I'm so ashamed of who I am and who I was that I knew going into my new friend group. I didn't want to carry that shame into it. And she said, the best way to get over shame is just to look it in the face and tell everyone what you're ashamed of, because no one's going to be, you know, more embarrassed than you are. And so I went into it that way where I'm like, I'm just going to, you know, let it all hang out. <laughs> and they just embraced me. And it's, you know, I would go to barbecues, I go to Halloween parties, and instead of having to like reach into the kids cooler, they make me my own. There's like, you know, they know I like, um, seltzers sparkling waters they always make sure that there's something there for me and just little things like that just make you feel included and it was really important to me as silly as it may sound but it's just those little things that you know you never think about um you go to a party and everyone's drinking which is uncomfortable because even if you're not a recovering alcoholic when people get too drunk they're annoying you know you don't want to hang out with them i <laughs> just how it is um, and to know that, you know, I could walk around with like a seltzer and, you know, people, even if I didn't want to talk about why I wasn't drinking, no one asked me any questions and I could move, remove myself from different situations. And a lot of people, when they get to that drunken level, cause they know I don't drink, they kind of keep themselves away from me, which I greatly appreciate because they know where I stand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, don't bring your sloppy yeah, slipping self around Maddie at the barbecue. <laughs> no, I know. And which is horrible, but I'm pretty straightforward. Like sometimes I'll say, Hey, I think you had too many and no judgment here. Good for you. But I just, we'll talk about it some other time. You know, I don't really feel like having a conversation with you. And at first people were probably offended, but now they're just like, okay. <laughs> That's Maddie. We love her. She shoots straight. Yeah, I love how you defined the sense of community. In fact, you you walked right into it without even me needing to prompt you for the question. 
you defined what that sense of community, how it's different in the CrossFit gym versus the rooms of AA, both driven to a goal, but it was cool how the fitness one really satisfied you in a way that AA did not. And it probably stems from the fact that, you know, even while you were drunk, uh, you were a ski bum. You were always kind of into the outdoors. Yeah. I know talking to you two, you know, the love story that is uh, your family's there, you and Brendan, uh, you guys were always hiking. You liked the great outdoors. It makes sense that CrossFit was your jam. Because of who you are, you were an outdoor enthusiast to begin with. It's really cool to hear and dispel the rumor that CrossFit is not just a bunch of like, you know, train hard, party hard, let's all get sleeves and flip some tires and then we're going to get wasted. It's cool to hear that it's not that, even though the ethos is to train really hard and then have fun together when it's all done. Were you scared you weren't at the fitness level as some of these people? Did that intimidate you to join the gym? Or was that just, again, the booze talking in the back of your brain? I was very afraid that I wasn't at that fitness level. I had been going to a gym. I was a big runner. All I did was really run. Um, I never really lifted weights. Um, so that was extremely intimidating. But I just realized that, like, nothing else was working. Like, I wasn't finding my sense of community anywhere else. And that going to the local gym and putting my headphones in and sticking on my treadmill, I mean, I wasn't making any friends. I wasn't developing any relationships. So I just kind of went and was like, I'm going to give this my usual. I either go zero, 110. I'm going to do this 110 and see how it turns out. And I just really loved it. And it's the how you said that we work out really hard and then party really hard. And I feel like in a sense that like we, they, everyone works out really hard. But the gym that I go to, like, we party really hard, but it doesn't really involve drinking. Like, we are always, they do lake days where, you know, families and kids come together and everyone's swimming and joking around. They do a golf tournament. Like, we go to our friends' baby showers, you know, like, it's just all different types of stuff like that. The, I, um, I found that I fit in really well when we first started at the nine o'clock class because it was a bunch of moms. And it just cracked me up that you hear, like, this, you know, work out really hard. And so we're all running and all the moms are working out really hard, but on sidelines, there's a bunch of Bob baby strollers lined up. And when someone's <laughs> baby started crying and you were by it, you grab the Bob and you would run towards the mom on, you know, the job, hand off the Bob. And then mom kept running and then you kept going. It was like, it, you know, like we, we worked out hard and we, you know, helped each other work out hard together. And it just like that type of stuff where you, you don't come across it. And I don't know. I've only been to Bail CrossFit. You know, I don't know if other CrossFit gyms are like that, but I just love that. I just, it cracked me up and I just it found it so <laughs> endearing and I just enjoyed it so much. Uh, I can know, see it too. I, I can totally see you like running across the gym because you're closest to the line yeah. of baby strollers. Drop the kettlebell, pick up the baby, continue the exercise yeah. with the baby. <laughs> I'm doing, what is this? This has got to be a seven and a half. I think I'm yeah, working my chest. <laughs> oh, your kid's 12 pounds? Oh, here, let me get a couple more reps. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, Maddie stayed with it. She overcame out-of-control drinking, postpartum depression, and crippling anxiety. And she's now in the running for the title of Miss Health and Fitness 2023 from Muscle and Fitness Magazine. Maddie shared how her workouts have evolved and some powerful life advice. CrossFit, the place I go to, does all of our programming for us. Um, usually it starts out with a 15-minute warm-up. Um, we go into a strength portion, which can be anything from like 
deadlifts, um, power cleans, press, strict press. And then they do something called like a Metcon, which can range anywhere between, I don't know, six to 24 minutes, depending upon, you know, what they're trying to hit. Um, usually involves cardio um, and then some higher rep weights. First started CrossFit. I'm 5'10". I weighed 135 pounds. I was a size 8, maybe 10, and 24, 23, 24% body fat. I've been doing CrossFit now for about four years. Um, I'm now a size four. I weigh 145 pounds um, and I'm 11% body fat. Um, a lot of people, when they step on the scale and they see their weight increasing, they freak out and then they stop their body recomposition because they're like, I'm gaining all this weight. I must be getting fat. And one thing when I like to you know, explain where I started and where I am now is that I've gained 10 pounds but I mean, my size, my pant size has gone down and my body fat percent has almost decreased by 10%, which is crazy. I do eat very clean. I'm very aware of what I'm putting, you know, in my mouth as like sugar, but there's really not anything that I don't eat. I mean, I'm constantly eating, but uh, CrossFit just does a really good job of challenging your body. A lot of women think that, hey, I'm going to lift all these weights and I'm going to be huge and I'm not going to look the way I want to. And they forget that, you know, lifting the weights creates muscle and then the muscle helps decrease your fat. So if you do have these fitness goals, lifting weights, you know, at least two to three times a week is going to help you achieve them. Um, it also exercise increases your serotonin levels naturally. It helps boost your mood. Um, I feel like fitness and exercise is the best antidepressant. Um, it's the cheapest antidepressant. It's doing the least harm on your body. And the other thing with um, CrossFit is that you don't have to do what everyone's doing. Um, They scale the weight. When I first started, I think I was deadlifting maybe 125 pounds. And I was doing every workout everyone else was doing. And I was making changes. My body was changing. Now it's four years later. My newest PR is 300 pounds for my deadlift. I started doing power cleans. I think it was maybe 85 pounds. I did a 185 pound power clean a couple weeks ago, which is really cool to think that, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's just cool to think about stuff like that. CrossFit is really good. They create a workout, but there's all these different variations that you can do. So like the Maddie that went into the gym four years ago did one variation. And then if you put the same workout in front of me, now I'm just doing a different variation because my skills have grown. My muscle has grown. Um, my knowledge of lifting has changed. Um, so I think people are so intimidated by it because they see, you know, I have to be able to deadlift 300 pounds. It's like, no, that's not the case. I started out at maybe 125. That's, you know, you should start where you should start. You know, it's everyone needs to stop comparing themselves to others. Um, they just need to challenge themselves and set goals that are obtainable for themselves And then as time goes on, you just keep setting goals and then you get up to bigger and heavier lifts and more challenging things. Um, One of my goals at the very beginning of CrossFit was to be able to do a bar muscle up. I mean, it took me four years. I can do one, (laughs) but it was great when I did that one. (laughs) I was so excited and I got it on camera. So it did happen. (laughs) I think the coolest thing I just heard too was like my weight went up, but my pant size went down. So many people are just focused on statistics, you know, the scale number. And while that's a great tracking mechanism, um, 
adding muscle. Muscle weighs more than fat. You yeah. have leaned up, shredded down. And at the same time, the scale indicates that you weigh a little bit more because you're muscular. Man, yeah. so many good things to hear because people just want to step on a scale and think, as long as the number's going down, I'm going in the right direction. Nah, you are completely fit and just, you know, you just see the vibrancy in your face and feel the intimidation when you look at those quads. <laughs> I mean, you just look, you're like, dang. I, my husband is so buff and he, ha- and I tell everyone that I feel like I live in the shadow of his traps because when I walk into the gym with him, everyone's like, man, look at those traps. And I'm like, what about me? <laughs> it's a Mr. and Mrs. Universe. I mean, you're right, Brett. It is a huge, huge. mountain of a man, but at the same time, I, you know what? I, I could see it, Maddie. I, I, I could see you, you know, maybe going for Ranger course. I could see you kitted up. I mean, I wouldn't no. want to be on the wrong end of, you know, a gun with you. That's, I mean, no, no that's, that's his thing. I think he's crazier than I am. I would never, some of the things he tells me they have to do. I'm just like, why, why are you like, that's a great idea. <laughs> No, when you're talking in the beginning about all the military folk and you know how wonderful all the things that they do like that's my husband I'm like I'm sometimes I forget how cool of a dude my husband is because he's just friendly to me you know this guy you know he's been my buddy since third grade it's so strange to just hear that type of stuff but I mean you forget yeah and I I want you to pass this along for me too to him uh Oftentimes I forget how cool he is because you are way cooler, Maddie. You are so much more. This is why I love hanging out with you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So advice for someone on the fence as we stick the landing here. Somebody hearing this that hasn't made the commitment, the personal commitment to themselves to be the best wife, to be the best husband, to be the best mother, father, and they're still making the excuses that, eh, Maybe I'll just not drink before five. Maybe I'll just cut it back on the weekends. Maybe I'll just go two days in a row and not booze. What advice do you have for them? I mean, first of all, if you're making those justifications and trying to find reasoning as to why you're drinking or um, to support your drinking, that's kind of a red flag to begin with. You need to start looking for help. And the best place to start, I think, is medically. Numbers don't lie. You know, if you go in, you're completely honest with your doctor. They're going to give you the facts. And the other thing is that you can't be all of those things, the best wife, the best mother, the best father, um, unless you're the best version of yourself. Um, and if you're having those thoughts and doing those justifications, then you probably aren't the best version of yourself. And what I've learned from sobriety is no matter how you slice it, the first year is going to stink. You're relearning a lot of bad habits. You're making a lot of lifestyle changes. If you're like me, you burned a lot of bridges. You got to rebuild them. You got to rebuild a lot of trust. And the first year is like a lot of yuck, but you can get through it. And after that, and you, you create this world that you don't feel like you need to hide from. And when you do create that world and you get to be the person that you're truly meant to be, then all those other things fall into place. You become a great wife. You become a great mom. I mean, my kiddo the other day, um, he, they took a picture of, uh, Rory. And they had to say things about themselves. One of the things that he said about, I'm going to cry, about himself is that he loves spending time with his mom. And it just, that's everything. You know what I mean? And I didn't do that by, you know, being the coolest mom ever. Let's go get ice cream all the time. I did that by holding myself accountable by becoming sober and becoming the best version of myself. And those are words to live by. I'm Phil Briggs, and I'll talk to you again next week 
on CBS Eye on Veterans. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Eye on Veterans ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus, starting May 1st.